my last church, the property backed up to the train tracks. And uh, every once in a while, inside the church, you would hear the train or the ambulance driving by on the road, but it was when we were meeting outside like this, and it was right there. And, uh, but it was really regular because it was the, the Metrolink line, and uh, so I knew when it was coming by. Uh, that worked pretty well. Uh, so I'm glad to be uh, back with you guys again, and uh, cooler that it's going to be a little bit later. Uh, last week we were talking about relationships, and, and specifically we talked about uh, friendship, right, and, and what that uh, meant for uh for Christians within the church, how God has, has really put us together, that uh, part of that is how we grow together as brothers and sisters. And we're going to talk a little bit, uh, a little different today, a different kind of relationship, and specifically because Proverbs twenty seven seventeen is true, and our relationships matter, right? Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And I don't know if you have sharpened anything. Uh, I like to keep my kitchen knives sharp. I mean, like really sharp. And so I've got some tools that I use uh, where it's basically a hard abrasive tool that sharpens the blade and I would say that I, I only had to go to the hospital once to get stitches. It was like 20 years ago, so I've learned. And I want, I, because maybe you haven't seen it, I, I do have a video I want to show you. And the video maybe shows a little bit of it. Let, let's go ahead and show you that. You see the abrasive tool. I was thinking, what if we were trying to sharpen a knife uh, with a watermelon? Would that work? Apparently not. Or, or how about a tomato? Could you sharpen a knife with a tomato? And if you really want to know how sharp your knife is, you actually use paper, apparently. Guy's just showing off. Uh, I love that video because if you notice while he's like showing you how sharp his knife is, he's got a Band-Aid on his hand. That means, that means it was really sharp. You, you can't sharpen a knife with a tomato or a watermelon. In fact, those things do the opposite. They dull the knife. Right, the, the kind of tool you use to sharpen your knife matters. That's why who you spend time with matters. And so we're going to look at a relationship in Scripture. We'll look at a couple of different ones uh, about an interaction that didn't just grow 
uh, one person, but it, in fact, it grew the church and we benefit from it today. When the Apostle Paul uh, was first introduced to the church, he was called Saul, as you probably remember, uh, right? So that would be his, his Greek name instead of his Hebrew sounding name. And he was known as a persecutor of the church. That uh, he was rounding them up, arresting them for persecution and imprisonment. It was only when Paul on his road as literally carrying letters to arrest more Christians on the road, when he had a confrontation with Jesus the resurrected Jesus. And his life changed. It wasn't just his journey, his trip changed. Literally from that point on, his whole life changed. And he, did, he met some Christians. They, they, they kind of prayed for him, talked to him. Uh, scripture records that until that point, after meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, he, uh, he was blind and something like, scales fell from his eyes and then he was able to see what a great analogy and then he said you know what what I really need to do is I need to go to the church and meet with the disciples so in Acts 9 starting verse 26 we read this when he had come to Jerusalem he attempted to join the disciples. These are the disciples that spent time with Jesus. And so he tried to spend time with them. He tried to get in to see them, right? And so he kind of got met by the bouncers at the door. They were afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. They thought he was lying, trying to trick them. Verse 27, And Barnabas took and brought him to the apostles and declared to them, how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists and they were seeking to kill him. That's serious. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and send him off to Tarsus. So it's really just a paragraph, but everything changed for Paul, right? That in, in his encounter with Jesus, his eternity changed. And then the purpose of his life changed as Barnabas said, look, I know you guys don't trust him, but he literally has changed. See, what happens when you meet Jesus, it's not just that you change. Scripture says that you become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Barnabas recognized that. That he wasn't just Paul anymore, Saul for that matter. He was a new creation in Christ. This isn't the first time we read about Barnabas in the book of Acts. In Acts 4, 36 and 37, it says, Thus Joseph, 
who was called by the apostles Barnabas. You know, his name was Joe, but they didn't call him Joe. They had a nickname for him. And really from this point on, he goes by his nickname. He's got one of the best nicknames ever. He's called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. A Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You don't have to make a massive donation in order to get a nickname like Barnabas. It didn't say from that point on they called him the son of encouragement. In in fact, what happened is that was who he was. They recognized that in him, and he was called a son of encouragement because he was encouraging. He's somebody that kind of stood out. That's why he was the son of encouragement. And so when we read in chapter 9 how Barnabas saw Paul, he he learned about him, and he said, you know what, I'm going to take him in to see the apostles. He was just doing what Barnabases do. They encourage. That's something we learn about Barnabas. Paul couldn't get in because they were afraid of him. But someone like Barnabas believed in something truly incredible that really only happens in the church. Here's what I mean. What he believed was redemption. See, redemption means that, that your life is going a certain direction because of the choices and the actions you have taken. And what happened for Paul is, is a total redirection from where he was going to eternity. Barnabas believed that. He acted like Barnabas. I, I was wondering about that. Did Paul deserve a second chance? Right? Is, isn't there a point at which you're like, you know what? I trusted this guy one too many times and I've got burned every time. Did Barnabas deserve a second chance? Well, if Barnabas didn't deserve a second chance, then, then I said Barnabas. If, did Paul deserve a second chance? If Paul didn't deserve a second chance, then none of us do. Because in Christ... The sins you have committed are forgiven when you trust him. You believe that Jesus Christ is son of God and give him control of your life. And he promises to forgive your sins. He promises eternal life. Well, if he can forgive me, he can forgive Paul. Paul who stood there as Stephen was being stoned. It says that he, he, they laid their cloaks at his feet as he gave approval as Stephen was murdered, martyred because of his trust in Jesus. So Barnabas did something. Barnabas acted like a mentor in this scenario. And, and so the word mentor is used a lot in our culture, basically to mean someone who's maybe more mature, 
somebody who has more experience, someone who's going to help someone younger than them figure it out. Now in scripture, we don't use that word often. We don't really see the word mentor in scripture. So, so if you're uh, filling in the blanks, if you're taking good notes, you'll see at the very top, it says mentoring, better yet, discipleship. Because that's the biblical word. Because you're not just saying, well, let me help you figure things out. It's let me help you take steps to grow in Christ-likeness. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so we use the words interchangeably today. Barnabas being a mentor, and what does it mean then to mentor or disciple someone? Well, first of all, the mentor recognizes God at work in others. Like Barnabas did. He looked at Paul and he saw how God could use him to do incredible things. I always wonder how different it would be if Barnabas felt the same about Paul the way the other disciples felt about Paul. Right? How would the church be different today? Certainly scripture would be different considering how much of the New Testament Paul wrote. How many uh, cities Paul went into as he preached the gospel and established churches and then later went back on his missionary journeys to encourage and strengthen those churches and the letters he wrote to the churches when they were struggling and to encourage them. Things would have been very different for Paul if he hadn't taken, uh, been taken in by Barnabas and encouraged. And so Barnabas recognized in Paul something incredible that God could do. The job of those who have walked with the Lord longer is to see that God wants to bring others along also. You see, this is how it works. Christianity, being a Christian is not competitive, it's cooperative. Right? It's not the first one to the finish line wins. The one with the most toys at the end wins. It's like cheesy bumper stickers that people seem to believe. No, Christianity is our goal is eternity and let's take as many people as we can. That's the point. And that's the job of the mentor. So Paul, when he was teaching basically as a shepherd in training missionaries and pastors. That's what he taught them. We have an example of that in his letter to, to Titus. He says this, he says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine, slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good, train the young women uh, to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive on their own husbands, sorry, to their own husbands, that the word of God may, be, may not be reviled. So this is not a prohibition against wives working outside the home. It, it is much more about a statement of prioritizing family and work over idleness. Right, So if you're a more mature woman, Paul writes to Titus, here's what you teach those more mature women. 
teach them to train younger women to work hard. Instead, in their free time, to go out and gossip. No, you teach them to work hard. And so that's the point and the purpose. In that first century culture, that when women weren't working hard, then there was a tendency then in their free time to do things that they shouldn't do. Perhaps be lazy or getting into mischief. And so Paul was adding to the responsibilities of the older women that work at home, that they would come alongside younger women and teach them, set an example, specifically self-control, purity, hard work, kindness, and submissiveness, right? So the idea is here's an example, do it like this. But Paul wasn't done talking about that. In fact, Peter also mentioned it in his first letter to the church. He says, so I exhort the elders among you, most likely men at this this point, the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those who are your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are under, sorry, you who are younger, Be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Shepherd. It means what? It it has this, this context that a lot of people at the time would understand, but I don't know about you guys and your experience with shepherding in sheep. Now I have a confession Growing up, we had sheep and a goat. At times, we had some horses and chickens. Uh, I was asked this in our community group uh, this last week because we're talking about Psalm 23. And I raised my hand and said, I can tell you about sheep. Now, the point is that sheep have to be shepherded. They have to. Of course, On our property, it was a fence that did most of the shepherding, right? We didn't have to lead them to green pastures or beside still waters. We just kept the gate shut. But they had to be shepherded. They weren't the brightest, and and they had to be led and taught and trained. The idea is that if you are more mature, there is a burden, responsibility, challenge put on you to guide those who are less mature. I like to say it that way because in that context, it means that every one of us has someone around us that we can be helping, encouraging, right? So if you've been a Christian for 
three days there's someone who's been a believer for one. Help them out. Help them get two days closer to Christ. And that would be true of everybody. And then he says, for the younger, you're to submit and be humble. Well, humility is a challenge for some people, right? Because you kind of think, well, like, I think I got it figured out. And yet you have a responsibility to go, you know what? Maybe I need to learn something here. So the mentor really does look around and sees how God can work in the life of someone else. And then the second thing is that the mentor invests in the future. There's an investment in something that will last, something more important than today. Because things of great value may be only one generation away from oblivion. In Psalm 145, verse 4, one generation shall commend the works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Uh, The job of every generation is to invest in the next. And that word generation in this context doesn't mean 20 years, right? We're not talking about uh, that specifically. It really does mean if you are older, you should be investing in those that are younger. It's like putting money in a 401k account. Uh, If you're in your 20s, start now. Right? You benefit way more. I, I won't put the graphic up. I, I, I debated that, that some of you might need to see this, but this wasn't a finance lesson. But you start when you're young. Because if you do, you'll have way more when you retire. In So, enough of that. Um, I was thinking about investing in the future. My, my first church was over 100 years old. Uh, not the building specifically. They had moved a couple of times. The building was slightly newer, uh, but it was over 100 years old. And so one day I needed to visit our oldest member in the church was in the hospital. He was 91 years old, drove to church. He drove he and his wife to church every Sunday, which unfortunately was why we were in the hospital. He had gotten an accident on the way to church. And so as we were visiting, uh, he had all kinds of stories you could imagine. So this 91-year-old man had lived in the community in which the church was in his whole life. He was a deacon in our church before I was born. His mom was pregnant with him going to our church And he was 91 years old. There's a whole lot of history wrapped up in that. And and I loved going uh, to their house. They were really sweet. And they'd always had something fresh baked. And he would say, would you like a soda or coffee? I'll say, I will take whatever you give me. He said, coffee then. Yes. And that day in the hospital, he told me something that will, that will stay with me forever. He said, Pastor, 
I don't care what you do. Reach people for Jesus. Now, we talked about what he meant for a while. But he gave me permission to change the order of the service. He gave me permission to change the kinds of songs we did. He gave me permission to move walls in the church building and paint it and and anything else because he didn't care about things that didn't matter. He cared about eternity. And it scared me. And I said, okay, because I think God wants us to do something for the kingdom. But when I bring it up, And people get mad at me, I need you to stand up and tell them you're okay with it. He says, I'm there. And we did. But but how incredible is that? A 91-year-old man, instead of saying, you know what, I'm really comfortable with the way things are. Please don't change anything. Which, by the way, I've heard that more times than I heard from John. Instead of, you know what, it, the music's too loud or, or there's a bunch of people I don't now, know now and I'm kind of uncomfortable about that. He goes, I don't care about any of that. Reach people for the gospel. Okay. That's an understanding in the investment that we need to understand our job is share the gospel See lives changed for eternity. Uh, We know of the Apostle Paul because Barnabas lived up to his name. So, but those who are being mentored, what do they get out of this? Right? So, Paul, he he got encouraged, he got uh, to be a part of the first century church, and then we see it, but but today, if, if someone is mentoring you, discipling you, what do you get out of it? Well, I have two things. First of all, the disciple grows in maturity. Now, that may seem like, well, won't that just happen? Like time, right? Eventually enough time and I'll be more mature. I don't know if you're aware, but I have met plenty of people much older than me that aren't mature in the faith. Just because you get older doesn't mean you get more mature. It's the difference between, well, I've, I've walked with the Lord for 20 years and so I have 20 years of experience or I have, well, maybe one year of experience over and over again and I've never grown. It's just that first year 20 times. And so the goal is to grow in maturity. Paul grew as a leader, an elder in the church. And how different the church is today because of it. Proverbs 13.20, it says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Wait a minute. So who you spend time with matters, right? I've said that a few times now. Still true. 
right? So the disciple grows in maturity. And then the second one is just as important, if not more important, the disciple grows in usefulness to the Lord. Time with mature believers will help you grow in maturity, and then you are more useful to the kingdom of God. You see, there's more about Barnabas, right? So, so we first met him in chapter 4, where, where we recognize he's the son of encouragement. In chapter 9, when he takes Paul, then they go on missionary journeys together. And there's more. On Paul's first missionary journey, they were staying with a family. They had a, a, a young, uh, young man in the house, Mark. John Mark, depending on which verse you're reading it in. And Mark was excited. He wanted to be a part, and so he traveled with them. But in chapter 15 of Acts, a problem arose. Verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are, right? So they, they traveled, they, they met Christians, they established the church, and then they said, let's go back and visit each of them and, and see how they're doing and encourage them, see if there's any issues. Verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. So that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Okay, so basically the story is that as they're traveling, things got hot like dangerous and mark young guy he's like that's it i'm out and he ran away so he he protected himself he was away then then later came around again and they're like let's take mark and paul says you know he deserted us when we needed him and i don't think so but barnabas is like no i i think i think he could go and he went with barnabas and paul went the other way I'm not going to critique Paul and say he was wrong. Come on, Paul, give him a second chance. Barnabas gave you a second chance. Why not? The son of encouragement stepped in to encourage Mark. That wasn't Paul's gifting. That was Barnabas's gifting. Paul was very much a let's get to work. And there's a place for that, too. Yet, something incredible happened during that time that we miss unless we continue reading in the New Testament. When Paul was under house arrest and he knew that he wouldn't live much longer, he wrote a second letter to Timothy. In his second letter, it answers a lot of questions for us about Mark. So in 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11, uh, he says, do your best to come to me soon. So talking to Timothy, here I am, I can't get out, I need you to come. Do your best to come to me soon. 
For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. That's it. That's it. That the Mark who he said, no, let's not take him because if we take Mark, like he's going to desert us. He's something changed. From Acts 15 to when Paul wrote Timothy when he was under house arrest. And you know what it is because we've already mentioned it. It was time with Barnabas. He spent time with the son of encouragement being trained, mentored, discipled, and he grew. And later, Paul Paul said, bring him. He is useful to me. Choose your mentors wisely, but more importantly, find someone who has walked with the Lord faithfully. Spend time with them. If you're the more mature believer, look for opportunities to encourage and bring others along. Uh, It's part of why those community groups keep coming up when you hear about groups, because it's time with believers. Some next steps today. Uh, First of all, uh, I need to evaluate who I follow, right? Who I spend time with uh, and decide if it's, good or not, and then take steps, active steps to mentor others in Christ-likeness. It's a conscious effort. It's not an accident. And then the last one there is blank. Fill in your own, right? What did God say to you today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you that as we gather here together that we can Uh, really learn that lesson from uh, Paul and Barnabas and Mark. We want to be more like Jesus, and we understand that it doesn't happen by accident. It happens when your people are faithful, take their responsibilities seriously, ultimately. Father, It's part of how you have grown us. And if uh, we need to make a change, right? We're spending time with people we shouldn't. We need to spend more time with someone we should. And give us the courage to do that, to make that change, to honor you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.